in the cul de sac, contemplating murder. Swerving with my circus, looking for a purpose. Pseudo clean record, hope got another Hey, canteeners, welcome to episode 58 of Culper's Canteen Cup. A lot going on, a lot going on, but we have persevered. What did the guy say in Josie Wells? Uh, Josh, when I kick it to you, you can say we we have endeavored to endeavored persevere, persevere to give the shout outs up front because we know you guys don't listen to the guys and gals don't <laughs> listen to the entire thing and you don't. But if you heard your shout outs early, maybe you'd, maybe you'd stick around longer. So, Josh, should you give us a couple of shout outs? All right. Hey, quick shout out to uh, to my dad. <laughs> he's uh, he's been kind of down under the weather and uh in and out of the uh, the hospital, he's been in there often enough. I think they're going to uh, name a wing after him. So, Dad, hope you get to feeling better. Hope you get out of there and hope you uh, get back to, to being yourself. Hey, another shout out to uh, one of our listeners, Ryan, up in uh, up in Woodbridge area, Virginia. Uh, actually, there's another Ryan up there in Springfield, Virginia. Hey, both of you guys, appreciate you listening. Appreciate you interacting with us on the Facebooks and the Googles. And uh, so that's uh, that's my shout outs for this episode. I'll throw it over to Rogers. He can uh, give some. Is your dad going to share this episode? Uh, considering my dad doesn't have social media, uh, he may tell somebody <laughs> about it, but he may not share it. One, I hope your dad gets better and, and, you know, I hope he's healthy and all that other good stuff. But I think you're missing the whole point of shout outs. The whole point of shout outs for people will share this stuff for us. But now there, you know, it's um, we don't recognize a lot of the folks, some of the folks we interact with on Facebook and uh, a lot of them we get, believe it or not, uh, we get a lot of texts. We get a lot of Facebook Messenger, uh, some Hangouts and stuff like that. So it's, uh, you know, one of the cool things about the show is a guy, Mike, uh, that I've known for years that I, I probably hadn't spoken to in hell. 15, 20 years or whatever. But, uh, you know, friend of a friend on Facebook, which is like the only good thing about Facebook is that you do connect with folks that you, you know, would have probably lost touch with forever. Um, but he was actually one of my mentors uh, back in the day when I was a young private and and he was a, a staff sergeant at the time. And uh, along with another guy, Joe, who I think, Josh, you were supposed to go eat, uh, you were supposed to go eat lunch with, uh, but he's a dedicated listener. And here's the crazy thing about Joe. So we have been playing Xbox together for probably 15 years and uh, never met this dude. And what's crazy about it is, you know, especially for you folks out there that only like the Xbox community or whatever, like all of these people I play with have known my kids since they were like three or four. Like they remember my boy, you know, couldn't wrap his hands around the controller and getting on Call of Duty or whatever it was and playing. And now it's like, yeah, my boy's grown up and he's in college and this and that. So it's, you know, it's kind of weird because they're, they've watched him grow up through the video games. But uh, to both of you, Mike and Joe, we definitely appreciate you listening out there. It's, uh, you know, we definitely appreciate the the feedback. And I think even, you know, more surprising is, you know, what I would consider Mike and Joe to be very middle America, blue collared workers. You know, and, and I think when we look back at it, that's kind of who we want to appeal to. Because that's, that's, we want to be known as, you know, and I think individually, you know, you want to be like, oh, I'm a working guy, working gal, whatever, uh, middle class, you know. Um, you want to appeal to, to those types of, of individuals. So uh, both of them, you know, solid, hard-ass workers. Uh, Mike was a great NCO and uh, really, I think, hits the spot on, like, middle America and the kind of listeners that, that uh, you know, we strive to uh, to attain. So with that, I'll throw it out to Luke, and he can uh, he can kick us off this week with our with our topics. All right. Well, first, I uh, give a shout out again to Jed. Uh, still need to reach out to Jed, uh, ask him some questions about uh, you know planning the website. He's a pretty smart guy, PhD, 
that doesn't mean he's smart, but I've met the guy. He is actually smart. <laughs> Give a shout out to old Scott uh, again. If he didn't hear last week for saving that domain name for us, probably consider using that. And uh, uh, somewhat a veteran-owned business here. Uh, his wife uh, actually owns a, a company called Limsaw. It's a really cool uh, thing that you put on a front end loader that will uh, trim uh, branches and stuff really high up. You, you know, it just attaches real easy. It's about ninety pounds, and uh, it's a really great product. Uh, check them out at limb limb as in tree limb limbsaws.com. So one more quick shout out, I guess. Uh, I grew up with a guy named Russell back in Amarillo. His uh, brother is actually married to my sister now. <laughs> It's kind of crazy that way, how, how things happened at Amarillo. And Russell uh, wrote, wrote a book. He's been promising uh, people that he's going to write a book, uh, nonfiction humor, uh, kind of nostalgic. It's called, uh, it's, it's not released yet. I'll let you know what it is, but it's called Suitcase Sleds, Basketball, and the Bros, an ode to grow, growing up in the 1980s. I'm telling you, I, I edited and formatted that book for him, and I'm telling you, it's really good. If you know, the three of us grew up in the eighties. Those were our, our wonder years, if you will. And, uh, I won't, it was, it's just a good book, especially if you grew up in the 1980s in Amarillo, but if you grew up in the 1980s in a small town, it might hit a lot of chords. So, uh, Russell, once again, I told you, I really thought it was good, but here, here's the proof. I'm going out on the record and saying it was good. Uh, and Josh, I think that one of our, uh, listeners, uh, came to you with something uh, and, and hope that we would address it a little bit. I did some research on it, and uh, I'm going to kick it to you because I do think it has national implications. That's the, the race uh, in Virginia that's, that uh, they're going to vote on uh, next year, I guess this time next year. And uh, so I know you, you know more about it than I do, so uh, why don't you kick us off with that? Yeah, I don't know if I know more about it than you do because you're, uh, you're smarter than me, but... <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, hey, Ryan. So, you know, Ryan up in uh, up in the Woodbridge, Woodbridge area of Virginia hit us up and asked us, you know, a few questions on the uh, Virginia governor's race and, you know, asked us if he, he said he would love to hear us talk, you know, discuss it a little bit. So it does have national implications. After I was not familiar with it, I wasn't paying attention to it. You know, it's happening in Virginia. I've considered Virginia a, uh, a lost state uh, at this point. <clears throat> Basically, well, I'll say a lost state. Basically, everything north of Fredericksburg, uh, Virginia, I consider occupied territory. And, uh, you know, that's kind of when you hit the, uh, the demarcation line. It's way south of the Mason-Dixon, uh, but it's, that's northern Yankee country to me. So anyway, so, you know, started digging into it, and it's a little bizarre, man. You guys, uh, you guys remember what's-his-face uh, McAuliffe? Who was the? He was the governor back around like what, 2010, 2013 time frame, somewhere back in there. Well, so he's running again, and it's kind of crazy because he appears to be taking kind of the same tack as uh, as Biden did during the uh, during the presidential run. He's sticking to you know McAuliffe is a he is a party line guy. Uh, he's a party line Democrat. Nothing too crazy, and <clears throat> then turned around. But he's making some overtures, you know, to, to the far left, you know, you're talking, you know, critical race theory, uh, universal basic income, a couple of those other things. And uh, so he appears to be appears to be gaining some gaining some steam. And the thing with Virginia, if you go back, um, 
the statewide offices that have been held since 2012, uh, Republicans have lost all 13 of those contests for uh, for you know state level elected offices, which is uh, which is not awesome. But you go back and you look at it because I'm a, you know again you know we try to be a big data guy. From 77 to 20 from 1977 to 2017, there was only one election, and that was in 2013, in which the party in the White House actually won the governorship of Virginia. So, it's you know some of that data holds some of that. One of the interesting things is the Republicans held a convention instead of a primary to choose their candidate. The Democrats said, we're going to go ahead and have a primary to choose ours. The Republicans did a convention. And, uh, you know, because you go back and you look at the, at, at the conventions and they really have that, I think, a more conservative activist appeal, um, you know, especially when you're talking ideological candidates. And uh, one of the articles that I pulled up, I can't remember which one it was, but this is not uh, this is their thoughts too, so not mine. So Luke, don't uh, don't yell at me like you did, Bonnie, for uh, for plagiarizing stuff. Um, so the uh, <laughs> the primaries, you know, it, it's a lot broader elect- electorate in the primaries, obviously, and it kind of goes back to the electability of uh, of candidates. So some of the uh, you know, so you got McAuliffe, he's he's well known, uh, and you know, Luke pointed out. So Virginia has a rule: you can only serve one term at a time. You can go back and run later, but you can't serve two consecutive terms. If I uh, if I read that uh, if I read that right, Luke. So a couple of other candidates for the Democratic candidates for governor. Everybody, uh, everybody remembers old Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax, right? Everybody remembers him. Um, you know, pound me too movement, uh, you know, accused of, uh, accused of, of rape, sexual assault. Nobody, nobody, you know, everybody turned a blind eye to that one. You know, I guess they were, they were too focused on Northam's blackface and, uh, his KKK garb. No, no, they weren't focused on that either. They just didn't care because it was one of them. Um, and so it's already being talked about to where they're saying that Fairfax is, potentially going to use the, hey, I'm a black guy running against a white guy, and now is the time, you know, to get these old white men out of, out of elected office. So we'll kind of, we'll kind of see what, see what that rings. One thing is McAuliffe was pretty popular. Um, He had a 60s, almost a 70% approval rating during his governorship. So he was pretty popular as a governor. I didn't have time to go back and look at his, his record and, you know, some of the big things that he passed and some of the big things that he, uh, he ran on. Um, but he is absolutely 100% an establishment candidate. And so he's gonna, he's going to toe that, that party line, uh, regardless. That'll be interesting to see, you know, what he has to say about, uh, Israel and, and everything, which I know we're, we're going to get into later. So I'm going to throw, I got one more thing. I'm going to, I'm going to throw it over to, uh, to Roger, the electability thing when it comes to candidates. And so, you know, McAuliffe won back in 2013, Obama backed him. You know, obviously Obama was electable. Uh, we elected him twice, but when you see 
the fissure that's happening in the Democratic Party right now and some of the things that um, McAuliffe is saying, some of those harder left things like universal basic income, you know, some of this critical supporting critical race theory stuff. That's going to be an issue, especially when you start talking rural, you know, Virginia voters, uh, you know, outside of occupied territory there in uh, there in northern Virginia. So, Roger, I'll throw it over to you. Get uh, get your thoughts on it. Uh, when first of all, nobody cares about their rural Virginia voters because that's just not who uh, determines the elections, sadly. But uh, no, it's a good point. So for the for the Democrats. Um, they're obviously holding their primary. So you've got Jennifer Foy, Lee Carter, Justin Fairfax, Fairfax, Terry McAuliffe, and, and Jennifer McClellan. Uh, a lot of them taking, uh, you know, the far left or, um, you know, maybe moving slightly to the center. And, and from some of the reading that I've done over the, you know, the past couple hours, a couple of days on it, you know, there was, uh, you see it at the very beginning during the Obama years where they really ran against Obama. And they're kind of using the same thing with Trump now. Here's what's interesting on the GOP side. So, uh, like you said, they they held a convention. So they had so every voter is a, a delegate then at, at a convention. It's fifty three thousand delegates, <laughs> right? So incredible, pretty pretty wild. And like you said, when you look at the uh, you know your ideology of those who attend conventions and delegates, uh, they tend to be a little bit more committed. So you know we'll see how that shakes out in the tea leaves. What's interesting though is. You know, so Glenn Youngkin, uh, if you don't know him, he is a co or I don't know if he still is or he was the co-CEO of the Carlisle Group. So if you've been there in Northern Virginia, those, you know, they, they've got a pretty prominent building. I think they got some lions or griffins or whatever the hell out front of their building or whatever. But uh, guys made all his money out there. Um, you know, he's, he's very well to do. He is pro-Trump, but he's not too far to the right. And I tell you, I actually like this guy. I like his mindset because... Here's one thing that has bothered me, and, and this isn't about Trump, but I'm tying this together. This is one thing that's bothered me over the last couple of weeks with Trump is that he's still looking at the you know illegitimate air quotes uh, elections and this and that, right? Election fraud, and that's still coming back, and he's still beating that drum. Uh, and, and we've talked about it before. I'm not saying that the election was clean, wasn't clean, whatever. We're beyond that. It is what it is. Biden is the president, and you've got to move forward. You can't continue to live in the past. Um, you can obviously take action so that you have clean and fair elections going forward, but uh, to continue to you know to beat on that, it just gives you you know PTSD or something like that. So Yunkin has been a Trump supporter, but he stopped just short of the whole election fraud thing. And I believe he's actually come out and denounced it, like, "Hey, look, we're kind of beyond that. Let, let, let's you know again, party you know moving forward. Uh, we've got to get rid of that stuff." Um, I want to believe that across the country, that's going to be the kind of way that the GOP finds their way forward, or at least I hope, is that, hey, you like Trump's policies, because from what I can tell with Yunkin, and I don't know a whole lot about the guy, right? just what we've read the last couple of days, but uh, it seems like he is very pro-Trump as far as the policies. You just don't have the, you know, the mean tweets. Uh, and then the main thing is like the election fraud thing, right? Uh, so he doesn't beat up on, on that stuff there. So you're really getting kind of the best of both worlds where you're getting that 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 Trump policy, uh, but maybe a little, you know, tampered down demeanor and, 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 and you know, not just, you know, cooking off at, at, at any given moment on, on Twitter or whatever. So it kind of got me thinking on, is that the way forward for the GOP? And it'll be kind of tough because as you're starting to see Trump more and more in the news, uh, you know, he is obviously backed uh, Yunkin. Uh, so it'll be kind of curious to see if Yunkin really, you know, does he really embrace that? 
or he's like, hey, fantastic, and then continues on his own road. Uh, the other thing is, when you look at when the legislature has been controlled by Republicans, Democrats, and the governors, and this and that, primarily, it's been controlled by the Republicans historically. Uh, 2020, 2021, the Democrats took uh, complete control. Uh, but prior to that, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, it's all Republican control. So it'll be kind of curious to see if it goes back, because from what I can tell and some of the rhetoric that's been out there is they tend to run against the current president, at least in the first couple terms. They did it with Obama. Uh, I, you know, they're going to they did it with Trump. I expect that uh, right now with Biden, that's going to be the big thing is like, hey, you look at Biden, uh, they're going to really make it about not so much McAuliffe, but hey, do you want the Biden policy here in Virginia? Uh, to take that those national level policies and bring that down. So I'd be kind of curious to see how that shakes out. Another thing that we got to see how you know how this impacts it is where voters are now, because when you look at COVID, there's a lot of folks that are remote, um, and I understand that some of those remote means just at home, five ten miles away. But look at what home prices have been like over the last year, right? They're skyrocketing. So what does that tell you? People are moving. So you say, hey, when you had that controlled amount of population in you know, Fairfax or Northern Virginia or whatever, you say, well, hey, have a lot of those people that got tired of living in that, in that crowded area actually pushed out to some of the more rural area? Uh, and so then when you talk about your, your Democrat voters, uh, they may actually get spread a little thinner, right, as they push farther and farther out. Hey, maybe I want to go out to Western Virginia, out like in Roanoke or something like that, or maybe I push a little farther south of Fredericksburg or, uh, you know, what have you. And then when you get that, that heavily uh, GOP-dominated areas, uh, you know, as your Democrat voters get pushed out there, they get spread a little bit thinner. So I do think it'll be a good litmus test. It'll be interesting to see what the what the deep dive is into, okay, you know, I'd like to see voter turnout by county. Has it gone up? Uh, has it gone up in rural areas? Is it going down in the big city areas? Because what we're seeing out here, and I'm a little removed being out in Arizona, uh, but we are seeing a big push from like downtown Phoenix out to the suburb, you know, uh, suburbs. So I'll be kind of curious to see uh, see how that plays out. But I don't know, uh, Luke. You think with the you think for the GOP? I mean, is that the way going forward? Is that uh, to kind of play? Hey, yeah, I'm supportive of Trump's policies. Uh, you know, let's let's kind of put the election fraud thing behind us. Yeah, I think that I'm, I'm seeing it, and you know, I don't have a whole lot of time to de- do deep dives into stuff like this. Uh, but I do. There are a few races I I am following. Josh is looking at me crazy, like there's something wrong with my mic. Am I okay? All right. <laughs> so, but what I'm seeing in a, in a few of these races, especially in the in some deep red states, is the top tiered candidates are really trying to align themselves with Trump. Uh, you know, saying his name a lot, saying uh, America first, saying some of those Trump taglines. And I I really, in my opinion, you know, uh, if I was a, uh, a commentator or a consultant for these people, I'd be like, look, uh, you just need, you don't need to say Trump's name so much or at all. You don't need to say America first. Just come up with your own slogan that means the same thing, because that feeling is still there. You can communicate it to the voters without saying, you know, Donald Trump, I'm his, you know, I, he, he's my boy and all this stuff. Because I'm telling you, I mean, I think that ship has sailed. Uh, Trump is going to, I think, going to throw his hat in the ring. But I don't see a whole lot of things changing. He's he's still, you know, New York is uh, the, uh, the attorney general's putting him under the microscope, searching for a crime. It has turned into from a civil uh, investigation to a criminal and it's like it's like we said, I think 
all three of us have said at one point or another on this podcast is that you give the the even a state government, you give them the opportunity just to look for a crime that you've committed and they will find one. You every, everybody every day commits some sort of crime they don't even know that they're committing because it's against US code or it's against this state, you know, little bylaw that you can't wash your car, you know, in the driveway on Tuesdays or whatever, you know. So yeah, I, I, I agree. I, th- I think it's going to be a real bellwether for the midterms. Uh, be looking real close at the turnout in Virginia. I think you can expect the same type of turnout from Northern Virginia, uh, the demarcation line that Josh was talking about. They, they uh, regularly turn out really well. Uh, but the rest of the state, it, it is. Roger, that's a, that's a good point. It'll be interesting to see how things have shifted. What's going to be really interesting is the next census. You know, that happens, what has happened every four years? I, I'm not sure, four, six years. Anyway, yeah, I mean, it's strange. You know, I, I'm looking at the housing market right now. The how, you know, all over the place is just, it's kind of, it's, I don't know, it's interesting. It's uh, super heated for sure. Now, one thing, there's so much, we've got a bunch of topics we want to hit on. So I'm going to jump right into one of them. So, Roger, I think it was, Roger, Josh, I think it was uh, within the first few days of the Biden administration, he killed the Keystone Pipeline, which uh, made some people very happy and some people very mad. Canada's still mad at us, and they're still trying to sue the U.S. Uh, And, you know, whatever. I mean, Biden, he said he was going to do it. He did it. That's great. Now, there's a pipeline that runs uh, basically from Russia all the way uh, throughout Europe. I think it hubs in Germany, I believe. It's called Nord Stream. It's, well, there's two of them. There's the Nord Stream, the original, which is not nothing. And then there's Nord Stream 2. So what Biden did, and it's a, it's a major, major na- uh, liquefied natural gas pipeline, along with petroleum, I believe, and some other products flow through that line, and it comes from Russia. Now, historically, Russia likes to uh, uh, turn the spigots off when... Uh, a certain country is not doing what they think they should do. There was a, and not just the fuel spigots, the food spigots, everything. Russia will use that as leverage. So there were sanctions against ships, tra- Russian ships transporting materials to complete this pipeline running from uh, uh, Russia to uh, Europe, Western Europe. And there was a German company, I've got the name here. There's a German company that's actually constructing it uh, called Nord Stream 2 AG. It's, it's, Oh, and by the way, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline is nearly done. It's, it's, it's basically done. It's finished. Uh, it's done as in it's near, near completion. So what Biden decided would be a good idea is to lift sanctions, because there were sanctions on that German company, to lift sanctions on that company. Let's just go ahead and lift sanctions, let them complete it. You know, no problem. No more red tape. Let's complete this as soon as possible. You know, the ships are still sanctioned, but the company actually building, it's not. I just think that, you know, upon people out there just do a little self-examination of the situation I described. And there, there's a lot more detail to it. But the same type of situation, upon self-reflection, what would you have said if Trump would have done the exact same thing? The exact same thing. Oh, there'd be a congressional inquiry. He's working with Putin. He, you know, he's trying to, you know, get, you know, work with Russia so they have leverage over Western Europe. But Biden did the same thing, opening up pipelines in other countries, closing, you know, stopping them in our country. I mean, don't come at me, man. Don't come at me with this environmental stuff anymore, Bonnie. 
all this bi- environmental BS. Oh, we're, we're leading the world. Envi- we got to set a good example. So we shut one down here, Keystone, and opened up Nord Stream 2, which is a much bigger project. Basically underwriting it and say, yeah, it's okay. You can go ahead and do that. It's BS, man. It's BS. Don't come at me with the environmental stuff anymore. Don't do that. If you want to talk about clean energy and how it's better, more efficient, fine. I mean, make that argument because that, even though it's not true yet, that argument holds more weight than your environmental argument. I, I'm tired of it, man. I'm sick of it. Uh, you know, this globalist stuff, Roger doesn't like talking about it, but maybe Josh will hit on it. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, so, yeah, so the North Street 2, and I, honestly, I man, I've been so busy with work this week, I, had, uh, I missed it until you, uh, you hit me with it this morning. So one of the reasons that was reported, at least, uh, so Anthony Blinken, put out that they decided to waive the sanctions because they didn't want to damage relations with Germany. So this is from Blinken, right? So why are we concerned about Germany? I don't know. Germany has been taking us for a ride financially for decades. And then, you know, you put Merkel in there and and there's all sorts of problems. So... Come to find out, so the uh, the German CEO, Matthias Warnig, and I'm sure I'm pronouncing his name wrong, just like I did Kurt Schlichter's uh, when, uh, when he was on. <laughs> <laughs> so... He's the uh, so he's the German CEO, you know, running the uh, the German piece for for Nordstrom C two. So guess who he's a longtime ally of, and guess what his uh, his background is? He's From a long time. Yeah, he's a longtime Putin ally, and he's a former Stasi. He's former East German Stasi. So what we did is Biden, who, you know, who accused Trump of being an agent of Russia, who accused Trump of being a Nazi, who accused Trump of all these things. He just handed a major victory to not only Putin, but a former East German Stasi officer. So, yeah, I'm with Luke, man. You guys don't come at me with that. Don't come at me with the environmental stuff and don't come at me with the whole, you know, Biden's hard on Russia uh, thing because he just handed a major victory and it's undercuts Ukraine. We you know, haven't mentioned that yet. Like this really, really kneecaps Ukraine. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how much uh, Hunter Biden made off this deal, but I guarantee you, I guarantee you, just like, you know, New York's doing with Trump. You start digging in, really dig into this and uh, and Hunter. And I guarantee you, you follow the money. It's going to lead back to, to, to Hunter Biden and, and the big guy. So I don't know, Roger, what uh, what you got on it. Well, first for the for the environmentalists out there, check out lithium mines. You guys ever look into lithium mines? Okay. For all these folks that are like, oh, we need okay. So one, I get it, there's renewable energy as in sunlight, wind, all that other good stuff. Um, one, you've got to make the panels, the batteries, that type of stuff to hold the charge, hold the energy, what what have you. Take a look at lithium mines, and outside of just what you see, this, these massive holes, and I'm not against miners, right? I'm not against mining. I get it. Uh, but you can't tell me, like, with these pipelines are more uh, environmentally, you know, damaging versus these lithium mines, which, oh, by the way, it's not even what it does to the land. You know, it takes 500,000 gallons of water to process or to mine one ton of lithium. So, you know, put that in your pipe and smoke it, but uh, go take a look at that. I tell you, the... When it comes to Nord Stream 2, I'm confused. And 
well, I was confused. Now he's just wrong. It goes back to, was it Robert Gates, right? Who said uh, Biden's been wrong, uh, you know, his, his actions on foreign policies, foreign policy decisions, he's been wrong every single time. So it goes back to just a severe miscalculation of, you know, as far as what leverage that you actually have. And I don't know, it just doesn't, it makes no sense to me. I mean, one, you talk about, you hit it on the head, both of you, you know, what if Trump were to do this? Holy cow, right? You would hear, you wouldn't hear the end of it. Oh, I knew he was in bed with Putin and this. And I will tell you this, if you look over the last couple of years, uh, Germany has moved closer and closer to Russia anyway. They've moved closer. I think we've even talked about this in, in you know, previous episodes where their relationship with Russia and China has actually strengthened over the last several years. And some of it you can't help, right? Because when you start talking about resources and those type of things, I mean, they're going to do what they need to do to prosper as a, as a nation. And that goes back to, you know, Luke being a globalist and, and me not so much. That's part of the movement from the left is, is this globalist mentality where it's about the world moving forward. And it's like, hey, guy, you're the only one with that mentality. And when I, when I say guy, I'm talking about, you know, the administration. You're the only one with that mentality because everybody else is looking out for themselves. So it's not, hey, everybody progresses and the U.S. goes along with them. Uh, we have to do what we got to do for our own survival and, and you know, I guess to, to make America great again. Or like you said, we don't have to say America's number one. You can just say, hey, we're not number two and we're above number two or whatever heck, you know, whatever heck it is. But, you know, that's it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because. I know they're going to allow the completion of the pipeline. Are they allowing actual gas to flow through it? Have you heard any of that? Or not yet? Not yet. I mean, maybe in small amounts, but not not at its capacity. And then I guess my other question is: so you let them finish the pipeline? I mean, even with sanctions, can you really tell them not to to push gas through? I mean, if it's complete, what Putin's going to be like? No. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't have any recourse, right? Right there, there. It's it's too late, and it, it's gonna happen. It just sends a bad bad message, and we didn't do a good enough job uh, trying to head this off. Now, let, let, let me explain to the audience real quick. Cause we got so much more to get to. Why I why the three of us I I believe think this is a bad idea. It's not that we don't want Germany to have energy, and we don't want the EU to have energy. It's not that. It's if you're a student of history and you look back on what causes serious conflict, it's usually a culmination of a number of events over decades. And this is one of those, you're adding a precursor into the mix that you're just one step closer to C4. And, you know, when you factor all these things in, this isn't just about Germany and France. Uh, You look at the leverage, as Roger said, over the Baltics, which Russia still thinks are theirs, as much as the Chinese think Taiwan is theirs. Uh, you add Ukraine into that. You add Belarus going down into Moldova. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that could go wrong with this. You look at, you know, the Russian government is already issuing official government passports to the citizens in the Donbass and Crimea. That's the first step to no joke annexation. This belongs to us now. We're coming up close to that. And this, this Nord Stream 2 pipeline, we'll figure into that when the EU starts talking about, well, should we condemn this? UN Security Council. I mean, it's it's going to – this is going to boil over, man. It just – it is. Now, I'm going to leave it up to Josh whether he wants to talk about that silly racist hag, Lori Lightfoot, 
or if he wants to talk about the Pentagon preparing to monitor social media, or if we want to uh, start celebrating masks coming off. So, Josh, what do you want to talk about? Who, man, um, D, none of the above. Uh, <laughs> I figure while we're, uh, <laughs> I figure while we're overseas, let's stay overseas, and then we can transition back to uh, back to domestic. So everybody's obviously tracking what's going on in uh, in Israel right now. Uh, there's no signs of letting up. Uh, you know, Biden reached out to. Uh, to, to Netanyahu and you know said that they needed Israel needed to immediately de-escalate the situation. Netanyahu basically gave Biden the middle finger uh, because no no foreign leaders respect Joe Biden, and Israel went ahead and uh, started another series of uh, of attacks on uh, Hamas and. So now you have, and so this is where I think, you know, talking about that that, that fissure that, that we're seeing in the Democratic Party, like it's really it's starting to expose itself now, especially with the Israel thing going on. So it was a day ago, a couple of days ago, Congress got notified. Um, oh, they were officially notified on May fifth of the seven hundred thirty-five million dollars arms deal. Uh, between us and Israel. And the majority of that arms deal are JDAMs. We sold Israel a bunch of JDAMs. And uh, now, are those the same JDAMs that they're dropping right now? No, they probably didn't make it over there that quick. Um, but it had to be approved by not only Congress, but it had to be approved by Biden. Um, and so I know. Uh, Jose Joaquin or whatever his name is out of Texas, Democrat out of Texas. He came out today and demanded that Joe Biden resign. He said Joe Biden needs to resign um, as president <laughs> of the United States against, uh, you know, for his for his stance on Israel, you know, being pro-Israel and everything. Ilhan Omar to leave. Of course, the, you know, the usual suspects have come out and, and deeply condemned Israel for, you know, protecting themselves against terror, the terrorist organization uh, Hamas. And they've also criticized the president. Now, one thing about the Democrats is they keep everybody in line. So I have no doubt that those folks will be in, you know, Pelosi's office, uh, you know, in, in short order to, uh, to, you know, to, to kind of re recue their their talking points. Uh, or maybe not. I don't know. Like they are, they, you know, they're very outspoken about this and they're very adamant about, you know, this not happening and everything. Um, but again, you know, I, this thing with Israel, it doesn't seem to be letting up. Uh, Israel destroyed a building that, you know, it supposedly it housed, you know, Al Jazeera and a couple other media outlets. And, you know, of course, everybody's all up in arms about that, about, you know, innocent women and children being killed. Never mind that Israel, you know, claims they had intelligence that Hamas was using that, uh, you know, for for military operations, which is not uncommon within terrorist organizations. You know, you take a hospital and on the top, it's a hospital by all intents and means, and the top floor happens to be, you know, an armory. So, and last time I checked with the Geneva Conventions, it therefore makes it a valid military target. So, um, yeah, it, people are super, super upset with Israel. Uh, Joaquin Castro is his name, my bad. So, 
they uh, and also I guess it was a week ago, a couple of days, about maybe a week ago, a uh, classified Israeli government memo got leaked, and I think I'm pretty sure it was done intentionally. Um, so it talked about the very first meeting with then newly elected to Congress Joe Biden uh, with an Israeli elected official in Israel, and the uh, the report stated, and I quote. Joe Biden displayed an enthusiasm that signaled his lack of diplomatic experience, end quote, Um, as you know, because he came in and Joe Biden was telling Israel he was concerned about the West Bank and the Gaza Strip and the land that Israel had claimed in the years prior. Um, So I don't know. I don't know if that was strategically leaked or accidentally leaked. I'm going to go that it was strategically. I'm going to say that it was strategically leaked. But again, it goes back to, uh, you know, they also spoke about how Joe Biden's very uh, public about praising Israel and standing by Israel. But in private talks with Israeli elected officials, he's very he condemns them quite a bit um, and he's very hard on them. You know, so he's uh, he's playing playing both sides of the fence. Um, But, you know, as you brought up, Bob Gates that, you know, Joe Biden's been wrong on every foreign policy decision for the last 40 years. And, uh, you know, he's wrong on the pipeline. He's wrong on uh, a lot of things. Let's see, you know, let's see what he does with with Israel in this situation. But he's pissing everybody off, right? I mean, so, like, generally speaking, if both parties are mad at you, including your own, you're either doing a really good job or you're doing a really bad job. Uh, and, and I know this is not going to be objective. I believe, like with Donald Trump, I think it's fair to say he pissed both parties off, but I liked his policies, and I thought he was doing a really good job as far as policies go. Um, when you look at Biden, he has pissed off both parties, and I don't think it's because he's doing a great job. And, you know, I forget, I think maybe it was Josh that posted something, but it's like, yeah, you guys see all those social media posts about, you know, all the great things that he's doing, all the great things that his administration is doing. And uh, it's like, I, I don't know if I can go back and name one right now, other than the $735 million that's going to help Israel uh, and the JDAMs. But uh, I don't know of any other successes that the Biden administration is, is having. I mean, it's definitely not the border, right? Uh, they sat there the other day and they were touting, well, you know, look at what he was doing with the coronavirus vaccinations. It's like we were already at a million vaccines a day. I mean, a lot of this stuff has already been laid out for him, uh, and all he did was turn around and, and screw it up from at least what I can tell. And the foreign policy is just, it, it, it's atrocious. You know, and then now you've got this whole CDC guidance with the, the mask, wearing them, not wearing them, you're vaccinated, not vaccinated. He goes, we talked a little bit about him visiting Carter and the family last week or two weeks ago inside the house with the Carters. He's not wearing the mask. And then he goes outside when he's not with them. Uh, and, and there's nobody around him for 10 yards. He wears the mask. It's like the guy's pretty much wrong on, on everything. I mean, I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't see any, I don't see any posts out there for, and I even follow like the Lincoln project and a couple of these other places and not to troll because I very seldom do I comment, but I sit here because I honestly want to see what the left is saying. It's like, are they, do they really think that he's doing a good job? And, and a lot of times what I'm seeing in the social media circles is that, yeah, we think Joe's doing a great job. Well, okay. Well, what, what what's he doing? Like, okay, I have experience. What well, your experience could be really good or it could be really bad, right? So yeah, he's doing a job. Uh, you're saying he's doing a good job or he's doing a great job or whatever. At what? I mean, uh, Luke, I don't know. Can you lay out some of his? Uh, and I'm putting you on the spot here, but I mean, like, what accomplishments has Joe Biden had? 
since January. And, and I'm being serious to the listeners out there. I mean, I'm not sitting here, you know, trying to poke fun at him or, or anything like that. It's like, you know, honestly, objectively, like, what has he done that's been successful? Well, he did sign a lot of executive orders that made that pandered to his base uh, quite a bit. So if, if you're looking at it from that end, I mean, uh, yeah, oh, I, look, I know what you're going to say. Well, what's the outcome of that? Well, there isn't any, but it makes people feel good. It's all Josh is uh, uh, feel good versus do good. It made a lot of people feel good. So I think if you're if you're coming from the other side. You know, we talked about the interim uh, national security guidance. Uh, you know, there's some language in there that that really appeases uh, his base. So if you're looking at it from that end, uh, yeah, I guess maybe those are the successes. Uh, if you are brainwashed and don't have a lot of self-reflection, you'll see you, you'll you might tell yourself, well, Biden's doing a good job with the vaccine rollout. Well, I, you know, here's the thing is that he did speed up or said he sped it up and it did go out faster than uh, the original plan called for. So, I mean, hey, okay, credit where credit's due. If that's true, hey, he sped it up and that's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. I don't know. But yeah, I, I you know, I'd like to spend just a moment on some quote unquote good news that just makes me really shake my head. You mentioned it, Roger. It's the, the recent CDC guidance where the science literally changed overnight. The science, 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 follow science. And the science changed overnight based on, you know, multiple testimonies by Fauci when Rand Paul was trying to read him the riot act, asked him, you've been vaccinated. You've been vaccinated. And according to immunology, you shouldn't have to wear the mask anymore. And Fauci danced all around that. And that was a, uh, he, he actually said, well, you know, the science, you know, he, he quoted the science. And then CDC comes out with the guidance that, OK, we're snapping our fingers, waving, you know, magic powder in the air and saying, if you've been vaccinated, there's no longer a reason to wear the mask indoors unless you're in a super crowded, you know, whatever. There were there were a bunch of guidelines to that that were confusing. But uh, so so, you know, Fauci was you know, asked about that on a number of news outlets. And he came back and actually said he contradicted himself what he said to Rand Paul because Rand Paul accused him. He said, this is all for show, isn't it? This is all for show. You're trying to set an example to wear the mask, aren't you? No, I'm not, Fauci says. Of course not. There's science behind this. And then after the announcement, Fauci comes out and says, well, yeah, you have to set a good example, you know, so the people will, will wear the mask. And that's that's why I was wearing it. <laughs> And, you know, I'm not going to read you all the news articles. You can go out and find this for yourself. It's all out there. And I've said this. We've all three said this from day one. We learned a lot through the, uh, you know, throughout the course of the pandemic about the coronavirus, you know, some actual science behind it. You know, at first it wasn't what we thought it was exactly. We knew it was serious, but we've learned a lot. But I think the three of us and the majority of our audience has stayed fairly consistent with what we learned in 10th grade science class. And man, I, I, you know, I got to get this off my chest. You know, I mean, it is documented fact that Fauci said, do not wear the mask real early on. And he has come out and said, the reason I said that was not based in science. It was so that our medical professionals wouldn't be, you know, uh, shortchanged, you know, uh, cause a shortage of masks. You know what? That, those intentions might be good. But what that tells me is, don't trust a word that comes out of this guy's mouth or the government's mouth, okay? Because I look at the fuel shortage. 
they're already saying, well, we're, we're saying there's not a shortage because we don't want people going out and causing a shortage. You know, I <laughs> just tell the truth. Just tell the truth. Fauci has gone back and forth. And why people worship him, I have no idea. Okay, it's just, you know what? It, it goes back to this. It's identity politics. Like that witless little fleck of phlegm, David Hogg. If you don't know who he uh-huh. is, count yourself lucky. But he he is somewhat of a he has a you know he's an internet personality now he's 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 very i'll just tell you what he said and you can make up your own mind he put out a tweet he's a young kid so i'll, I'll give him that but and he's he comes out on twitter and he goes after the cdc guidance so you can remove your mask he said well i don't want to remove my mask i'm gonna to have to keep it on because i don't want people thinking i'm a conservative it's like oh oh okay i kind of knew that's what this was all about this entire time. You know, a lot of people are genuinely concerned, and they're genuinely concerned they're wearing a mask, and that's fine, okay? Everyone makes their own risk assessments. But when you start wearing it as a virtue signal to identify yourself that I care about you, that's why I'm wearing this mask. I, conservatives, don't believe in masks. I am not one of them. I care. This has just been the biggest laughable farce in my lifetime. I'll say this, this is the biggest laughable farce in my lifetime exposes so much on so many levels. And I hope scholarly journals and books really look at this going forward. I think for a lot of people out there, uh, unconsciously, especially young folks, younger folks uh, age 30 and below, maybe maybe even 25 and below. This was their 9-11. This was their chance to deploy. This was their national tragedy. So they jumped in with both feet, and we all saw what happened. And, you know, that's my rant on the masks um, for now. We're seeing the fallout. If you've been listening to this show from the beginning, we, we called this fallout. We didn't know exactly how it would be because we're not economists, but there is significant fallout and we're not through the woods yet. This is actually the hard part. And you know what? I'm going to be a little shallower about it. I don't think he's got anything to do with that. I think it's people wanting to stay home. I mean, that's what it comes down to. You know, I, I don't want to say, ma- that, that's I, part I don't want to say it, yeah. majority, but a lot of these folks, and, and I can only take snippets of what I hear and what I've been on calls about and, and what I've overheard, but people are going to agree with whatever it takes you know, whatever belief, whatever ideology, whatever, you know, whatever staying out there or somebody saying out there that will allow them to stay at home, live their current lifestyle and still receive a paycheck. I mean, that's a fact. I've sat there and actually heard government employees say that, you know, yeah, I hope Joe Biden gets elected because, uh, you know what, I really don't want to go back to work and I just want to work from home until June or July. I mean, we called this last year with the teachers. We called this last year with the teachers that, hey, you know what? They are going to drag this thing out to the end of May. Why? Because you go right into summer break, right? You go right into summer break, and then, hey, we'll address this stuff, you know, in September time frame. And at that point, it's going to be something new. And so what it tells me is it's not because of the sickness or COVID or this or that, although there is a percentage, you know, out there, that there is a vulnerable percentage, right, that, that are worried about COVID, just like they're worried about pneumonia or the flu or anything else. So, you know, I'm removing those, those folks out there. But there is a large percentage of Americans that are truly ready to wear the mask until the day that they die. That is a fact. 
I, I have literally heard government employees say, yeah, when they remove the mask mandate, I'm going to miss the little guy. I'm like, really? Are, are you serious? I mean, because it's a physical addiction. It's like chewing, right? It's that physical addiction they have. And it's, uh, I was going to say, uh, you know, only ugly people like wearing the mask, but maybe I should put a mask on then. I don't, I don't know if our, <laughs> if our audience will appreciate that or not. But going back to uh, David Hogg, so, um, you know, this is not, it's within the last month. He did end up resigning uh, from, as the CEO of Good Pillow, Good Pillow LLC. Remember, he was going to rival Mike Lindell's uh, MyPillow. So he came out with GoodPillow, and uh, apparently he's not a great CEO. So they took all his shares, and he's going to concentrate on college or whatever. Uh, Josh, on to bigger news real quick. So, and, and, and I'll touch base with you. It wasn't just Fauci. It was also Dr. Barbara. Uh, she's from New York. Uh, and Pelosi, right? The Chinese new, uh, Lunar Year. Get out there and celebrate. Celebrate. Take the mask off. Which is one thing that I actually agree with. I'm like, yeah, you should. But anyway, um, on to bigger news here. And I, I'm surprised this didn't actually come through, or I didn't see it on on you know more prominent news channel. But the Supreme Court has decided to hear a case that is going to challenge Roe v. Wade. And this is interesting because we we need to do an episode on this because we touched base on it in like back in our single digit episode uh, back when we weren't so cool and we only had like two or three listeners um roe v wade from what i could tell and what i've read is one of the you know worst ruled cases in the history of the supreme court i mean i think if you just do a simple gurgle on it i mean they pretty much tell you there are like three or four major flaws with this thing and one of the reasons that nobody wants to take that thing back up because they know it'll be overturned um and it'll be overturned not necessarily based on the merits of the case but there's just a lot of technicalities there that like Hey, these are all kind of jacked up, and if this thing ever gets looked at again, uh, you know, it's it, it's going to be overturned. So there is a case, uh, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, uh, involves a Mississippi law that seeks to ban most abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy, which is at two months earlier than Roe and subsequent rulings, such as Planned Parenthood versus Casey, yada, 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 yada. So really it goes on to, you know, do the states have the option to really make that determination uh, if they can? Uh, is there a federal law that can come out and, and, and provide some type of guidance or restrictions overall? But one of the things that, you know, as we talk about, you know, Roe v. Wade and this and that, this is one of those cases. You can't just take a, a case to the Supreme Court, right? It's got to go through. It gets ruled. It gets appealed. It makes its way up through the state Supreme Court, and, and it keeps going from there. But, uh, you know, I think we said early on uh, with that with that uh, that early episode was, hey, one of these cases is going to come up that meets the criteria of Roe v. Wade. And it would not be surprising to me uh, if it gets overturned. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Josh? Have you, I, I was actually kind of surprised I didn't hear it on any other news outlet. Have you heard anything about it? No, that's uh, dude. That's first heard right there. Uh, and that's, you know, obviously that is going to be a hot button issue, right? Uh, it's all, you know, it's been a hot button issue ever since it was passed, ever since it was, you know, voted on and confirmed. Uh, but you know, it's never been settled law. And as far as that, you know, as far as it being, uh, you know, what they refer to as a super precedent, if you go back to ACB's hearings, you know, that, that big exchange she had with Amy Klobuchar and Amy Klobuchar was, you know, this is, this is settled, this is precedent. And ACB had to school Klobuchar on, you know, what a super precedent means, 
Um, and, you know, it's basically, you know, the cases are so well settled, they're not challenged. The you know, political figures and uh, folks aren't, you know, aren't challenging it. And you look at how many how many times Roe v. Wade has been brought up and discussed and, you know, not, not necessarily challenged in the Supreme Court, but challenged, you know, in, in political conversation, challenged in bills and laws and questioned and everything. It is not, it, you know, it, when it comes to, you know, the, the U.S. legal system, it's not typically considered settled law. And so that is... You know, then you, you go back to, you know, Gorsuch and, and Kavanaugh and everybody, and, you know, they're all very much, you know, one of the things that weighs heavily in, in Supreme Court decisions is precedent, right? Okay, what's the, you know, has precedent been set for this? Is there any, and when the precedent is, yeah, there's just, this hadn't been settled, um, it's, man, dude, I couldn't imagine... I, I can't imagine the, the, the fear that's going to, uh, you know, to ripple through the country if, if Roe v. Wade is overturned. I think it, I, I think it should be. Uh, you know, I mean, it is. But. So this is what the, real quick, this is what they're saying is being debated right here. So the Supreme Court is essentially debating if all state laws that, brand, that ban pre-viability abortions are unconstitutional. So essentially saying, is there a constitutional right to abortion? Uh, what you're thinking it's just the Supreme Court's really going to just throw it back to the states and say, hey, man, your voters choose, and if they choose to ban it, yeah. it's on your state. Well, didn't Abbott just sign a bill in uh, in Texas saying that, like, at yeah. six weeks, that's it? Yeah, six heartbeat, heartbeat bill. Uh, if the if the fetus has a heartbeat, uh, can't can't uh, doctor can't perform the abortion. And, you know, a little known fact, I, I, I want to start hitting on local news a little bit because the three of us uh, – Local news that kind of impacts everyone, you know, uh, and the three of us, uh, like Roger said last week, we, we follow each other's hometown uh, news pages on the social media platform that shall not be named by me. And it's kind of fun. <laughs> it's kind of fun to follow the local news, you know, where, where we're all either originally from or living right now. And what I found really interesting, it, it actually made national news and people are like, what, what the hell, what, what the hell town is Lubbock, Texas? And Lubbock, Texas, uh, voted to consider itself a sanctuary city for the unborn. No abortions allowed in that city. And the ACLU is, is gearing up to challenge that. So I thought that was, that was really interesting. Uh, you know, and Texas is really, you know, ramping up the, the conservatism. And maybe part of that is, you know, an advertisement to California. Hey, don't come here. Hey, and where did they get that play from? What play did they take that from? Is it Arizona? California. Yeah, it was the oh, yeah, sanctuary yeah. cities for the illegals, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that's that's what I what I like seeing in this culture war is you know f- the other side fighting back a little bit. There there's a, a conservative uh, political action committee out there right now that's putting out some pretty well produced commercials, uh, calling out Nike, calling out Coca Cola, calling out American Airlines, and it's like for what reason? It's like well, who cares, man? I mean, how do I give money to this pack? You know, I mean, I'll give them 10 bucks. Uh, we're talking like seven figure ads here. So uh, uh, maybe we'll, we'll try to post some of those on the on, on, on the page on our social media platform that shall not be named. But so let's yeah, let's save that hot button issue for for a certain for a future podcast. because We don't want to get too heated with these topics. So let's now talk about, you know, a fairly tame topic of racism. <laughs> so, so Lori Lightfoot, the silly racist hag, 
comes out. And I, when I first saw the story, I was like, oh, no, somebody overheard that. That's she didn't say that. She said on the anniversary of, the, of her two years as mayor of Chicago, she's only going to grant one on one interviews with persons of color. No white people allowed. And I was like, oh, that's just a rumor. No, she put that out. She said it. She goes, I talked to too many white reporters, only persons of color. White reporters not allowed. That was not based on <laughs> that was not based on merit at all. It now, look, I still might disagree with it, but if she came out and said, Look, I don't like the coverage the, the white reporters give me. I don't like it. I don't like the the quality of their work. So you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna grant interviews only to persons of color. Okay, okay, okay. At least you're starting off on a, at a logical you know, footing there. But the, she did not say that. And I I don't want to hear people's nah, nah, nah. You don't understand what racism is. It's about being, you know, historically oppressed and, you know, uh, not being in a position of power. Lori Lightfoot is the mayor of Chicago. She is in a place of power. So if you're using that little strategy saying, well, she can't be racist because she's black, because she she doesn't she's not in a position of power that holds no water with me she absolutely can be racist so man i mean that is i'm going to call it what it is man she is a racist that's what we're coming to and this is not i'm telling you don't sleep on this don't sleep on this when someone in a in a prominent political position says well i'm just not going to talk to these journalists based on the color of their skin i mean we don't even need to play the game what if a white person would have said that? I mean, come on. It doesn't matter. It's just as racist. It's the same. It's, 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 I'll use my word. The word that came to me as I strolled through the chats, it's breathtaking. Good Lord, man. You can't even make this stuff up. And, and they've made it the way, especially over the last several years, they've made it to the point that, well, okay, well, if you're a minority, you just can't, you can't be racist. And that's not the case. Anybody can be racist, right? Um, which kind of takes me on to, to the next topic here. So I want to talk about the social media policy of, and I don't know if this was confirmed or not. So we, we heard the headline. I think, Josh, you might have shot it out. It was either you or Luke. And uh, I, I couldn't tell if, they, if the Pentagon actually spoke about it, confirmed it, denied it, whatever. But basically, the Pentagon, it sounds like they want to start screening social media accounts uh, of its military service members. And from what I can tell with some of these articles that have come out, it's not just about extremism. Uh, it, it goes on to like, well, hey, you're using language that we don't condone. I, you know, foul language or, or whatever, right? Because the military doesn't do that at all. Which, by the way, on a side note, we have stopped using foul language on this show here. Uh, we're going to attempt to stop using foul language on this show here <laughs> so, so that maybe we can <laughs> so we can actually maybe stay on a platform uh, longer than a couple of weeks. But, you know, it's not the it's not the, you know, extremist you know, activities are looking for, but it just goes down to what well, behaviors that they don't like. So basically what the what the Pentagon is trying to do is get involved in your private life and say, hey, you know, these actions that you're doing behind closed doors or even in a private account or something like that, you know, we don't agree with. And so, you know, we can, uh, you know, we can take disciplinary actions against you. So, which I do think that this is going to actually have a, a pretty big, the more you do that, 
Okay, what's going to end up happening? Because you've seen this happen already since Cambridge Analytica and all that other stuff. People just start going private with their things, right? Because if you notice when MySpace and Facebook and, and these things first came out, it was used to connect. And your default setting, your default privacy settings were automatically set to just public, right? Everybody could see everybody. Everybody can, you know, you can friend everybody and you can see your friends list and this and that. And then once the, the whole Cambridge thing came out, you started seeing this shift. And now as more and more things are being leaked, uh, as more and more of our, you know, uh, social justice warriors are out there turning people into their first sergeants and this and that, uh, you're going to start seeing people say, well, you know what? Um, you know what? Screw this. I am not going to be public. I'm just going to have a private profile. I'm going to go on to Parler. I'm going to go on to Gab. Uh, I'm going to go on to Mastodon, or I'm going to go to these, you know, uh, decentralized communication platforms, and that's how I'm going to express my ideas. Because you know, they think that, and, and this is from the left. They think that if they ban your speech, or monitor your speech, or censor your speech, it changes your behavior and your thoughts. And that's not the case. You're not changing anything by doing that. Right, uh, because there's an education process that has to happen uh, if if that's what you truly want. If you truly want change, uh, there, there's an education process that that ha- that you have to go through, and that's not happening. But I guess my my other question or my my question to you, Josh, is uh, where does the First Amendment come in on this stuff? You know, now I can see if you're in uniform, right? Well, I say this. But apparently, if you're the California National Guard, you can take a knee in political protests and this and that. But everybody other than the California National Guard who can take a knee for Black Lives Matter um, while in uniform and actually doing their job. But if you're out of uniform, you're at home. I mean, isn't there some type of violation of your First Amendment rights there? Or do you give them all up as a soldier? Or or what's the deal? So it's complicated. Um, Right. So... The, you know, when you talk social media and the military, we all know, you know, everybody, the first thing that most people throw out is the Hatch Act. Well, the Hatch Act, what, what it, the Hatch Act wanted to, you know, defend against and, you know, kind of control is, you know, you getting up there in uniform, you know, as, as Sergeant Major Roger and you have a formation and then you proceed to, you know, tell your entire formation about how people on the left and how Democrats suck and how they hate America and uh, how, you know, they're the scourge of the earth, which, I mean, you wouldn't be wrong, but that was, you know, now you as Roger, private citizen, you can go to a rally, you can go to a, you know, a a political event, you can go to a convention, you can go, you can go campaign for your favorite, you know, candidate. It should be without fear of any type of retribution. That's not the world we live in today. Um, So what, you know, what they're looking at, and so I tried to pull some stuff and it was at, uh, it was was at a different classification level that uh, obviously can't be discussed here. But what, you know, when you look at it now, a lot of the policies that are out there, and I'm talking about military-wide policies, uh, you know, and each service has their own, they are what you can and can't do on social media um, as, as a soldier. So everybody remembers, you know, Uniform Code of Military Justice, Article 134, uh, the catch-all, right? That's where you're going to find your conduct unbecoming, um, 
And, you know, well, this this post, I know you I know you posted this as a private citizen and, you know, it was a private post. It wasn't a public post. So only your friends could see it. But that's detrimental to the good order and discipline of the organization. Right. And so who interprets that? Well, the commander interprets that. And that's very, very difficult to, you know, to argue against, especially when part of your in processing to, you know, said, you know, whatever organization you're in, pick one, there's a policy letter that has been signed, you know, it's been chopped off by SJA and it's been signed by a commander that says thou shall, you know, conduct themselves, you know, in quote, an, an appropriate way, an appropriate behavior. Okay, well, define appropriate. And you know conduct that is not unbecoming, and you know detrimental. All that, all that stuff. If this is going to come to a head. It's going to go. If this is going to wind up in the Supreme Court at some point. Not necessarily this policy. This you know the Pentagon saying they want to do this because there's a lot of DoD lawyers that have already chopped on this. And so you know, for people to say it's unconstitutional, it's illegal. Well, that may be, but right now the legal system says that it is. Um, you know, so, you know, we'll take the good captain from third special forces group. This just happened day before yesterday. He has a Twitter account. It's his private Twitter account. There is nothing on there that, you know, states that he is a captain in the United States army. He is, uh, in a car with one of his friends, girlfriend, whatever the case may be. And they're going somewhere and he takes, you know, he's got the selfie of her, of her and him, you know, talking about they're going to something and then up under that, he says, quote, G's, the letter G, by the way. Well, if you Google the picture there, Third Special Forces Group Captain Twitter, it'll come right up and you can, you'll see exactly what he's talking about and what he's referring to. Well, the Pound Me Too movement came out immediately afterwards in force. And now, now this young captain is... The subject of a 15-6 for inappropriate behavior, conduct on becoming an officer in the United States Army. For a comment that he made on his personal Twitter that was benign. Even the girl commented back on the Twitter. She, she was like, I don't care. She was like, are you serious? She's like, look, look at these. Like, wait, wait, I, I can't hide them. Yeah, they're there. And they're fantastic, you know, is what she said. So, but, you know, everybody else, everybody else had to be offended about it, even though, you know, the person he was talking about wasn't. Um, and so, I mean, it even got to the point to where they are, you know, people were screenshotting comments and stuff out of one of the officer uh, groups on a social media platform that, uh, that Luke shall not name. People were screenshotting and posting it elsewhere, like, and they were kicking them out of the group. Um, there's, you know, you had that article about a month ago, the, like the SF Brotherhood, the SF ranks, you know, stuff. And people were like, they're spreading, you know, hatred in these groups and they're spreading, you know, Q, QAnon, you know, conspiracy theories. And, and they're calling each other vulgar names. It was like, have you have you been around army people? Like, I mean, <laughs> what, <laughs> what kind of names do we call each other? You know, generally not flattering. Um so it's 
eventually someone is going to challenge this, um, you know, especially when it comes to the private accounts. Um, I, I think I already see a lot of people that are moving their social media accounts to, you know, nom de gurs and locking their stuff down. It's all private because one thing that they can, the only thing that they can actually go through and look at is truly publicly available information. If your profile is private, they cannot look at your profile. That is one thing the lawyers have said. It has to be 100% publicly available information. And so, hey man, if, you, if you're using a nom de guerre and uh, you got your stuff locked down and you're not using you as your profile photo, that ain't me. You know, back in the days in, uh, you know, in Boston, be like, oh, that ain't me. I don't know where you got that picture from, man. That ain't me, though. Um. <laughs> so... But even Do that, not. you're not protected. I mean, we've got a listener, Dan, uh, that, you know, he had issues with previous employment because somebody in the small group that he was in didn't like what was said and, and took the, uh, you know, took a screenshot and shot it to his yeah, employer. And I think, I think that's just something that you're going to have to, you know, it, it, man, that's just something that, you know, you're going to have to put into your risk calculus, you know, and use that, use that criteria that, you know, that Luke laid out. You know, is somebody in this group, they're going to, you know, they're going to order me onto the train. They're going to help, you know, help put me on the train. They're going to get on the train. Like, I mean, that's just something you're going to have to you have to run, especially if you're in these big groups where you don't know people, especially like I'm pretty comfortable saying whatever with you two. Right. Some other folks, but mm, I'm going to it's 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 a shame that it's it's become so tribal. And, you know, that's one of the reasons the. <sighs> I'll say it. That's one of the reasons Facebook is is starting to fail and it's starting to become a, a really crappy platform is because people are getting more tribal and that's not how they were making money early on. Uh, they're very smart business people up there, man, very big brains, and they're figuring out how to continue to make even more money, but their, their platform's suffering uh, because people are getting so tribal. You know, when the Pentagon... I would like to have more information. Uh, you know, obviously, I'm not a service member, so this doesn't affect me. Uh, but it's like, how are they going to do this? Because I can tell you, it's not going to work. It's not going to work the way they think it is. Um, you know, if we if we transport it back in time to you know 2003 or 2002, and let's say that Facebook actually existed back then in the same manner it does now. I'm sure the Pentagon would show a lot of interest in trying to find out if there's any, you know, radical Islamic extremists within the ranks. And we'd be talking about the same thing. And, you know, the tenor of the conversation might be a little bit different. My question, though, is, you know, how are they going to do it? And, and I don't see a way if it's a top down, if they're going to create a new, a new I don't know, I don't know who it's going to fall under, who, who, who's going to monitor that. Uh, at what level is it going to be monitored? Is it going to be down at the at the command level, down to the battalion, down to the company? No, it won't. They, they'll manage it much higher than that. Yeah, I I think if they came out and said we're going to do this at the company level, and you know I'm I'm putting all legal issues aside for now, uh, but we're going to institute this program at the company level where the company commander, you know, is encouraged to follow all of you know his or her soldiers and monitor their social media for whatever okay okay at that point i still don't agree with it but it's like okay 
that's kind of a better way for it to work, I guess. I don't know. But here's the thing. I don't think that we need this program. You're going to have things fall through the cracks. They always have. There was a horrible shooting, uh, Josh, at Fort Bragg, I think, in the 80s. Okay? Uh, dude got up on the side of a hill and shot down at a PT formation, killed a bunch of soldiers. And that was in the 80s. might have been in the early 90s. But you're going to have it, – it's a reflection of society. You're going to have mass shooters in society. You're going to have extremists walking around in society. Does that mean you need a surveillance state? No. Now, the three of us in our background, you know, I'm a big believer in the Army's uh, threat awareness and reporting program if executed properly. And But what that program relies upon is a tight, cohesive unit where people actually know each other. And, you know, I, I'm not going to say it doesn't exist in the Army anymore. Of course it does. But we're getting further away from that where it's just like, hey, look out for your, look out for your Joes. You know, uh, start at the lowest level. You know, squad, squad leader, you know, platoon sergeant, platoon leader, up to, you know, first sergeant, company commander. It's got to be functioning on all cylinders and if you truly do know your troops truly know them those signs of whatever extremism they're worried about which is nebulous by the way right now whatever signs of extremism uh, are being exhibited those, those are going to be seen by by fellow soldiers and um, you know I, I don't know I, I don't like it I think it's going to be a big program I you know yeah it's 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 a mess man Roger what do you think uh, there's just no way to there, there's no way to manage it. I mean, it's uh, you know we delve into this a little bit on you know our private lives and and jobs and this and that and it's it's the amount of data is crazy. I mean, you you basically have to go back to like the every soldier is a sensor. You know, report on your buddies, report on your you know if you read something or this and that, and, and it's just you know you you can rate uh, a lot of division uh, in your unit. On that note, it's kind of related a little bit, so I, I don't want to go too far into it, but I want to throw this back to Luke real quick. So a very prominent uh, news organization came out with an article. I think we both know what we're talking about, but uh, came out with an article uh, laying out some, you know, some, I guess, activities that the U.S. government, uh, you know, goes into and, and does whatever. In my opinion, some of the things in that article can be sensitive uh, and let's say, for example, let's throw a hypothetical out there. So, cause I know you're a big journalism guy and you're, and you're the writer of the group. So, well, I guess Josh is now a writer too. So both of you guys being writers of the group, I'll both, I'll throw this out to both of you. So I'm all for journalism and everything. Uh, and, and I love freedom of the press and I think you have to report on everything. And, you know, and I understand like whistleblowing and this and that, and there's a place for that and, and, and procedures for it, what have you. Hypothetically speaking, let's say a, a journalist comes across information that has detrimental impact to our national security. Now, I know morally or as a patriot, you know, if I was that journalist, I probably wouldn't publish that. Right. That's just me. But I don't know. What do you think? I mean, there should should there be restrictions on information like that, and which I think should be few and very far between. Right. Uh, because I do get that it's it, it can be very subjective. But if you have information that you know, is beyond a shadow of a doubt. This is, you know, detrimental to the, na you know, to the na nation's security. Should there be any type of restrictions or laws or clearances to restrict that information from being made out uh, to the public? Well, first, the, and I, 
I don't know the first thing about journalism. I know like the very first thing about writing, like the very first, like this is how you put a sentence together. So call me a writer, whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I. this is a tough one. It's a really good question. And Roger is an expert at this, man, just throwing something out there that's like a, a real deep topic and thinking that I'm smart enough to come up with something off the top of my head. But I'll give it a try. That's a tough call because, first of all, the journalist has to, let's let's assume, uh, you could assume one of two things. The journalist doesn't know it's classified. You know, he doesn't know how much this will harm national security, he or she. They don't know how much it'll harm national security. They're just putting it out there because they're trying to make their name or, you know, make a lot of money for their newspaper. But let's, let's assume they do know it's classified information that would harm, uh, to, uh, grave damage to national security. Should there, I mean, yeah, you know, the, the easy answer is, well, they should, they should be a patriot and they should know that, you know, that, that, you know, you can, you know, their organization that they work for should know we can't do this. And I, I think that there's some of that going on and in the corporate media where it's like, okay, we've got some information here. Should we put this out or not? You know, how much, you know, and they, they, they'll, they have their, their sources within the Pentagon or any name your agency. But then you've got, you know, like Seymour Hirsch and um, uh, some of the more famous ones. Uh, I can't think of a single one of them right now that they're not necessarily they, they write the story and then they shop it out to all these different outlets to see who will take it. Um, in that case, I mean, the, a law against it, that's that's a tough one. I mean, I'm sure there's stuff in the U.S. code about this. I'm sure there is where someone knowing that it would cause grave damage to national security and they publicize it. uh, There's got to be a law on that, that you can't technically do that. And I'm sure the argument that a journalist would use was, well, I didn't know. And then you get into Snowden, you know, where what I would like to explore uh, someday when I win the lottery and I have unlimited time just to research random stuff. What I would like to do is, is create a timeline with Snowden, right? And be like, okay, if he truly believed the American people needed to know this because he felt like the American people, American people's rights were being trampled upon, could he have done it in another way following, you know, whistleblower protocol and stuff like that without, you know, and actually addressing the problem instead of seriously compromising national security? And I'm sure there is a way, and I'm sure it would not have been easy. He did definitely take the easy way out, and the easy way was pretty hard. But... Uh, you know, they're, they're, I, I, I don't hold a lot of trust in the U.S. government, which is, which is kind of ironic, but um, to message things. And over the course of history, there have been things going on that violated the constitutional rights of, you know, American people. Tuskegee experiment. I mean, we'll take that one right yeah. there. Now, someone back in the day when they were researching Tuskegee experiment, I'm sure that was whatever they, they classified it back then. I'm sure it was classified at some kind of level. And there would have been somebody within the federal government that said, you can't release this. In fact, they never did, I don't think. I think that was a, a FOIA type thing. But it's like, if a journalist got a hold of that, I think that, you know, even though it's classified, I mean, the American people need to know that that's going on because it's just flat out wrong. And I'm going to go back to Josh, but one of the things, you know, Josh mentioned earlier about a lot of lawyers have, you know, chopped off on these things. I, I recently was in a conversation with a uh, with a person, and we were talking about uh, something that happened a few years ago that was 
in my opinion, to the core of my being, it was unconstitutional. It should not have happened. It was a highly publicized event, and people took a lot of pride in it at the time. And I was like, dude, that's unconstitutional. I don't, I don't care what you say. That shouldn't have happened. And he's like, hey, man, 150 lawyers disagreed with you at the time. They all chopped off on it. And I was like, that don't mean it's – I'm not a lawyer. But I know what happened, and that was unconstitutional. So I don't put a lot of trust in lawyers either, less than the government, especially a government lawyer. I mean, who you trust less than that? So that's a really good question, Roger. I mean, a lot of issues, a lot of issues with that. And uh, it's, a, it's a very uh, kind of you, – you get it's real easy to get into those gray areas with that. It's like, well, what about this? What if that – uh, maybe Josh has a more coherent answer than I than I do on this one. Josh probably be like, "Hang them all, hang them high." <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So uh, it is a good question. I'm glad I, I'm glad he went to you first because I had a little bit longer time to uh, to think about it and uh, and and look up a uh, <laughs> try you know consult the oracle for the answers. Uh, there, the answer to that there is there, there's there's not an easy one. So you know you go back to you know, the founders, the founders, you know, I mean, they wrote it, you know, the, the freedom of the press is a key to, you know, to having, having freedom there, you know, they looked at the media as kind of a watchdog, you know, over the government, you know, to keep the, to keep the government honest and keep the government on the straight and narrow. I don't think they ever envisioned a point where, you know, the media, sided with the, you know, with, with one party or the other, you know, but when you, you know, you take a look at this and there's no, you know, there, I'm sure there's something in us code somewhere about something, but you know, the, the freedom foreign institute, uh, org, you know, really the only, they, they say that the only way the government can stop a journalist or a media outlet from publishing something is that quote? It will result in direct, immediate, and irreparable harm to the United States. So, that's probably if you know if if the journalist actually goes to the government with a mother may I nine times out of ten the first you know sometimes the first time the government hears about it is when it's on the front page of you know pick your pick your periodical. Um, so. You know, there there are some things, you know, and we go back to Desert Storm is a great example, right? So Desert Storm was one of the first, you know, wars that we got to watch, you know, in almost a real time being fought on TV. And you go back to, you know, a lot of the briefings that Schwarzkopf gave and uh, and then, you know, and Colin Powell gave. And, you know, even Schwarzkopf made mention there was a couple times where they took reporters, you know, before the briefing and they gave them a little bit more than, you know, what actually got aired on, on CNN. But you take these people and it was a different time back then. That was, a, you know, that was the first, you know, big war since, since Vietnam. Um, and, you know, a lot of folks were, you know, still mom, apple pie, baseball and the American flag. They, like you said, Roger, they were patriots and reporters knew they understood like, you know what, I'm going to sit on this until this event is over. I'm going to sit on this until this is over because I don't want to do something that's going to potentially result in harm to somebody else, you know, on, on the battlefield. Now you have those clowns out there like Geraldo, um, who absolutely did not take that tact. Uh, you have the reporters on the beach in Mogadishu 
back in, you know, 1992, 93, when they landed and all of a sudden it's like, who are all these damn people? It's like, oh, all the reporters, look, everybody's here. We're going to broadcast it live because we hate our country. Um, so I don't think you have that anymore in the media. You have some. No, I won't say all, but by and large, man, you don't have that that sense of patriotism in, in, in the media these days that, hey, you know what? This I know this is classified because the person, the source I got it from says, hey, I can't use my real name because this is highly sensitive. This is highly classified. Well, right then, you know, you know, it's not like so reporters going to go, well, well, I don't know. I didn't know that was classified. Yeah, you did because your source told you it was because your source told you you can't use my real name. You can't do this. You can't do that. And that article that came out, it was there was a lot of stuff in there that should not have been published for, you know, for sure. Some of it was a little like, yeah, that's not really like that. But there's a lot of stuff in there. You're like, man, this is it's not good. So I think we should do an entire episode dedicated to uh, to the First Amendment and, uh, and and really get in the weeds on this stuff. We can do it right after we do our uh, Second Amendment episode that I know Luke is still silently preparing for um so yeah man i'll uh, i'll throw it to uh to to the lukester okay well i guess that means uh josh will close us out after we take it one more time around the horn yeah you know that second amendment one will be good i'd like to get a special guest on for that i'd like i i'd, I'd i'm gonna shoot to try to get some kind of high, somewhat high profile special guest and get get their uh get their opinion on that no promises though so, folks, uh, appreciate you listening. We covered, I think, a record number of topics in this episode. I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, twelve topics. So, one thing we didn't really hit uh, early on in the episode, we know probably only have one person still listening, but this one person, whoever it is, Jed, Ryan, Scott, Chris, Brent, Russell, whoever, remember one thing: we want to reach out to you, and we want to tell you that. People sharing is caring. You you just hit that little share <laughs> button or just send it in an email to your buddy and just say, hey, this is great. I want you to channel your inner Care Bear, all right? And you're like, well, I'm not a Care Bear. I, I, I don't, I, I, that's not me. I'm a, I'm a manly man. But, man, there are 10 different original Care Bears, man. There's Birthday Bear, Cheer Bear, Friend Bear, Funshine Bear, Good Luck Bear, Grumpy Bear, that would be Josh. Love a lot bear, tender heart bear, <laughs> wish bear, and bedtime bear. So I mean, pick your bear, pick your care bear, and channel that, and share because sharing is caring. Maybe we'll get that website up, and you'll have a one-stop shop for everything. But uh, I think it was a good episode, Roger. You know, it's uh, we could actually spend more time on this, but there's there's something that we talked about conflation uh, last time, and and how they're changing words and equitable and equity and this and that. An article was written uh, two days ago, and it's on five thirty eight. And the headline to this is "Militias Pose a Serious Threat." So why is it so hard to stop them? And then it gets into this article where they say, and this is a quote from the article. Not all militias are extremists, and not all extremist groups are militias, but sometimes the two overlap, and that's where you can end up with a dangerous combination, okay? Um, I'll leave it at this here, and then we can discuss this on a, on a future episode. So according to the U.S. Code, uh, the militia of the United States consists of all able-bodied males at least 17 years of age and is accept 
and as except as provided in section da 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 under 45 years of age who who are or have made a declaration of intention to become citizens of the United States and a female citizens of the United States who are members of the National Guard. The classes of militia are, and there's only two, the organized militia, which consists of the National Guard and naval militia, and two, the unorganized militia, which consists of the members of the militia who are not members of the National Guard or the naval militia. So I will leave it out there for our canteeners uh, to kind of chew on that a little bit. If you, I don't even, you know, I don't even want to like credit this article at all, but you go to 538.com, type in, they, they filed it under, and it actually says filed under right-wing extremism. So look at what they are doing with the term militia, right? Uh, I know a lot of our, our listeners are educated out there. So take a look at, you know, what our constitution uh, states about militias, especially like the 2A. Uh, look at what the U.S. Code defines as militias. Then look at what some of these states are doing that we brought up several times uh, when they talk about gun rights and classifying or entering, uh, you know, adults 18 and over into their, you know, state militias. So uh, with that, that's my piece there. I'll throw it back to Josh, and he can uh, close us out with his final thoughts. I love the I love the militia language. I love it. Oh, it'll be a good. Uh, it it'll be so a, evil. It'll be so a good, evil. It'll be a militia. good episode. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We uh, we appreciate it. Until uh, until next time, take those damn masks off your face. Believe in the science, and keep your canteen cups full of good whiskey and tightly secured. <laughs>